Hello, hello, welcome to Anime Ichiban. This is our lovely anime podcast that we host on Goomstomp. I'm Harry, the temporary host today, and I'm joined by Kyle Rogashon. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm not a temporary anything. I'm just here again. You're just here. You are, you are so far the only uh, person in this podcast who's done every episode, though. How I? Oh, uh, yeah, that is true, yeah. yes. How fucking cool is that? Uh, do I get something? Um, I will virtually suck your dick over oh my the God. internet. Please don't. I mean, I You're appreciate welcome. the thought. You, you can ah, okay. you can suck my proverbial dick. That that would ah, be nice. Thank you. That's still just as sexy. Um, yeah. So Matt's not with us today. He's moving house, is he? Yeah, he he's uh moving moving to a new place. Ooh, exciting times. So yeah, so he's busy, but uh, we're here. We're here to do a a podcast as normal. Uh, Kyle, what have you been up to recently? What's news in Rogashon land? Um, well, I got promoted, which is nice, but I, I don't know. It, it's always like such a weird thing because I managed to be very lucky in that my job translates very easily to working from home. Um, mm. So honestly, like... Aside from like the more obvious parts of being in quarantine, uh, my life really hasn't changed that much, which I, you know, I am very lucky that that's the case. Uh, but I recognize that, you know, that's not the case for a lot of people, um, especially in my country, because the U.S. is kind of fucked. Yeah, I mean, us too, UK too, so don't worry about it, man. Um, it seems there's a correlation between electing people like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson, a.k.a. right-wing fucktards, and seeing your country go downhill. So who'd have thought? <laughs> well, yeah. So, but aside from that, I'm doing okay. I am uh, playing games, watching anime, and all of the good things. Uh, I am still trying to work my way through Ghost of Tsushima, which is fun. Is it uh, cool? It is. Um, yeah. I know Matt was kind of... Uh, cold on it just because it's kind of got that have you ever played assassin's creed games oh yeah 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 so it's kind of got a little bit of that similar combat loop where it's not particularly complex it just relies on good timing Mm. right so it's not something like something like sekiro or dark soul or basically from games right where Mm. uh you need to really like pay attention to attack patterns uh they have them uh, but it's not as deep. It's still pretty good. I'd say it's uh, the best execution of like the past decade or so. Of I, these I think kinds of games. Games with more simplistic combat can still work if you constantly feel like you're improving in terms yeah, of like, the gear, yeah, the gear yeah. you get, the weapons you get, the skills you're unlocking. If there's a constant sense of progression... Um, I think this is why something like the, the Dynasty Warriors games, for example, can yeah, still work yeah, right? because... Yeah. Even when the combat's really simple, it's not about that. It's about constantly getting new materials, new weapons, new abilities and experience points. So if yeah. that sense of growth is there, is, is there in Ghost of Tsushima, then, then we're all good. 
It's there, yeah, and it's it's enough for me to have fun with it. Uh, I, yeah. I wanted an action samurai game, and I got an am- action samurai game. Mm. So, Sweet. so I'm pretty happy with it. But what about you? Uh, yeah, I've been all good. I uh, today I watched the uh, the Goblin Slayer new film. So uh, oh oh, they, they, that was a new film. Okay, okay. Yeah, so so they did the first series, and then I think they did kind of like an hour and a half long episode that's. Um, uh, I think it's doing like one of the light novels, but um, it starts with like twenty five minute recap. So it's like a recap episode at the start. This, but after okay, like, twenty five minutes, you've got like the, you've got the remaining like... hour. The remaining hour being uh, okay, this new content. Okay. It's it's all right. I mean, it's basically just like two episodes, two and a half episodes put into yeah, like yeah. one long thing. And obviously, they're able to do this because they probably didn't have enough budget or time to do a whole series. But they figured, oh, we can squeeze out a sort of mini movie. So yeah, it was all right. It was pretty good. I mean, it just felt like a few new episodes of the show mm-hmm. uh in but it was nothing too special but it was entertaining it was pretty fun and i think goblin slayer is one of those shows where whenever i watch it i always just think this is pretty cool i want more and i want more world building more character building and again it's one of those shows where it's just there's not much of it there's only the 12 episodes in season one mm-hmm. then these extra kind of uh this extra bit of content here so it's one of those shows that I enjoy it, but I wish there was more. Well, if you liked Goblin Slayer, um, I don't know if you, I know you watched anime. I don't know if you've really read much manga. But, I've read bits and bobs, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I say that because I recently started reading Berserk again, mm-hmm. um, and it very much fills the same void uh, yeah. that uh, encompasses things like Dark Souls and... Uh, goblin slayer which is very uh detailed brutal fantasy worlds uh with an incredibly skilled protagonist yeah i know berserk's meant to be really cool um i, I think i did want to start watching the anime but i looked on Crunchyroll and they've only got the new season which is like yeah animated i know that's gotten a lot of backlash so that's kind of the issue with i i haven't watched the berserk animes um i've only ever read it uh, but I know that a lot of Berserk fans are like kind of eh, lukewarm on a lot of the adaptations just because nobody's really done it right yet. Yeah. I, I mean, I did watch actually like one of the episodes of this new kind of 3D mm-hmm. animated season. And yeah, the animation is just, it just doesn't, it's fine, obviously, like you get used to it, I guess, but it, I always just think it doesn't look as good as 2D animation. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Like, it, Unless it's done to an impeccable quality like Land of the Lustrous, it will yeah. never hold a candle to 2D animation. Yeah, it but will always just many... feel like a clunky iteration. Yeah, I was actually looking through a few series, um, and there was one of them that I was interested in, but it was like a 3D animation. And yeah, unless it's by like the studio that did Land of the Lustrous or Beastars, it just kind of looks blocky. Mm. Um yeah it's not as fluid which is unfortunate because like i like you can obviously have good 3d it's just there isn't really mm. good 3d even then i watched a few episodes of b stars and i didn't like the animation to that really? maybe I, maybe i'm in a minority there but hmm. it, it just didn't do it for me um yeah I've, I've the only time i've seen 3d animation that i really liked was land of lustrous hmm. that's interesting where... because it's the same studio oh is it Ah, okay. So I don't know why, but but yeah, B stars didn't really do it for me. Mm. Um, but no, like yeah, I do much prefer prefer two D. Is I know the original kind of like adaptation of Berserk, like the original anime adaptation. Oh yeah, um, that's 
that's not 3D, is it? That's, is yeah, that I think right? it's a traditional 2D, and it was like, done back in the 90s. I, again, I haven't watched it. Uh, it looks decent enough. Um, mm. so I, I, so the thing about Berserk is that the adaptations typically go over what's called the golden age arc, which is like the first 80 or so chapters. Um, Berserk is running on like 320 chapters right now, um, mm. which is probably nothing compared to something like one piece. Um, yeah, but it's one actually piece funny, is like, like Berserk one piece is, is close to be a thousandth chapter. Yeah. But Ber- Berserk is actually, I think like 10 years older than one piece. It started in 89. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, the author, Kentaro Miura, is uh, very notoriously uh, taking his time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure it's, it's not as bad as Hunter Hunter. Did that have like a long hiatus? That's renowned for being more on hiatus than it is actually in serialization. Ooh, um, rough. The author takes like year-long breaks, if not two-year-long breaks. He might do like a couple of chapters a year. It's ridiculously slow. Is it worth um, it? I don't read the manga. I know, but I know that it's like obviously regarded as one of the best shonens, and uh, a lot of people love it. But uh, yeah, I, I think the anime adaptation wrapped up in like two thousand and eleven ish or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think he's he's only done like I don't know half of a story arc after that. Mm. He, he's not like gone much further. So yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, like doing manga is fucking hard and it's draining. So I appreciate people like need time off, but. Uh, it, yeah, it must be rough. It must be very anxiety-inducing if you have so many fans waiting for you to finish a series. Yeah, and I your mean, mental health is declining. It, like, it must you, be tough. And, and... Like, deadlines kind of kill people. Um, yeah. You know, some, sometimes, literally. But very... You know, like, it's very stressful. Um, especially if you're... I, I think, who was who it? Uh, Horikoshi, the author for My Hero Academia, like, had to apologize for taking a break because he just needed the time off. Hmm. Because, um, yeah, it's rough. It, it, like, they get stuff out every week. It's sad that he has to apologize because it's like when you've got people like that. I know Echo Oda's the same, where like he's had to take breaks before and he'll apologize. I'm just thinking, like, you're fucking on it every week. You're, you're doing an amazing content every single fucking week. Like, take a break. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rough that the, the, the industry, Japan, for both manga and anime, is so brutal and so mm. cutthroat. Yeah. Um, speaking of. That kind of leads us into our first news topic. So normally, Matt does the news topics, and he is obviously the king of that. So I'm going to very poorly take over for this episode. Uh, Just some quick context. So we're going to do some news topics, and we're going to go into very heated, potentially controversial political and social topics that I'm sure will offend and and frustrate people. I think this episode title (laughs) is the episode where we get political, unless that changes. But, you know, yeah, full disclosure, uh, it may get into some... Sensitive topics. But we'll do our best, though. It'll yeah. be cool. Um, but yeah, so, so like, first one, uh, Matt shared some articles, so we're going to read them. So he is still here in spirit. Um, so poor accounting at animation production studios is the reason behind low animator wages. The Tokyo Kazai's online newspaper published an article on Wednesday about the effects of COVID-19 on the Japanese anime industry, using quotes from an anonymous industry insider. The article's central argument is that COVID-19 is bringing into sharp relief the pre-existing problems with financing and accounting of the anime industry. Essentially, it goes on to say that um, a lot of managers are fucking suck at, at doing the money side of things, to be perfectly blunt. Um, mm. They can't read the balance sheet. They can't track the cash flowing in and out of the company. They don't understand the importance of internal reserves. 
and they only worry about living from paycheck to paycheck. So a lot of time when money runs out, they'll just accept new work and new anime projects to get the advance payment, um, even when it's beyond the studio's capacity. Uh, So then, yeah, they'll run into trouble with the production and the workplace ends up in a shambles. Um, And that's obviously a big reason as to why like labour issues in the anime industry are really poor because the managers are not good at managing the company, managing budget, managing employees. Yeah, it's fucking worrying, isn't it? Wait, so it's like, where where does that money go, though? Um, I'm not sure exactly where it goes, uh, but from what I know, it's just not well managed. Mm. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I only took a screenshot of a bit of the article. So, <laughs> so yeah, if people want more context, I'll have to look up, uh, try and look up what I'm saying. But, um, but no, like, that's just what it says, just like they're not good at managing budget. Um, I'm I'm sure it's, if there's any number of things that could be wrong, but I'm sure it's different for every company. I don't imagine there's any one mm-hmm. singular issue as to where the money goes. I'm sure it's different for every company. But um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. But there's so many managers of anime companies that mm-hmm. are just not good at their job. Well, it's, a, it's, it's always a, uh, an weird to employees. Um, whenever you hear about like funding issues, because it's the same with the video game market or in the video game industry, where it's like there's so much money flowing into it but like a lot of times it is very unlikely to see it passed down all the way down to the people that are actually like making the product. Mm. Yeah. It's it's really frustrating. And I think it's, uh, you could almost compare it to things like streaming services with Spotify and stuff and Mm -hmm. YouTube, where a lot of the revenue generated from what I know, it goes to, the people at the top, i.e. the people who run Spotify and the people who run YouTube. Um, and it's just kind of like little bits that trickle down to the actual artists who are there in the recording studios making that music yeah. or make, making that uh, those products. So it's frustrating. You know, it, it's it's annoying, but I guess, you know, when you get these people at the top who make the rules... Yeah, it's kind it of the same issue getting... with, um, like, YouTube that's going on right now, uh, well, or, like, has been going on. YouTube has basically been, like, putting out a bunch of anti-consumer features. Like, the most recent one that they kind of fucked up with was how they got rid of community-created subtitles so that they could monetize it through privatized subtitle companies. Mm. Um, which is all kinds of fucked. Uh, but the unfortunate side of it is that people will still stick with YouTube because there isn't really an alternative. Um, yeah. And if you look at something like the anime industry, right? Like people have had issues with these studios, but that's why you get studios like Trigger and like, they just try to run things on their own because they're tired of the issues. Now, whether or not you know, Trigger is susceptible to the same kinds of problems, that's, you know, another issue entirely. But I think it just goes to speak to the larger issue of, like, these existing power structures and these existing uh, systems um, that people kind of just take as a given until they don't and are yeah. tired of it and go to make their own anime studio. Yeah. Yeah, I do hope we see more independent studios in the future because it's frustrating how things are run right now. Um, And this kind of, again, bridges into our next news article, which is um, Netflix's bigger budgets haven't trickled down to actual animators. So, so yeah, I mean, I I probably don't really need to read much of this, but basically, yeah, um, 
according to Tarumi Nishi, who's a character designer for Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Diamond is Unbreakable and Knights of the Zodiac Saint Sire. Um, budgets on Netflix anime are roughly twice or three times the amount of regular anime. However, animator wages have not raised accordingly. Uh, so she remarks that the animation production companies don't seem to be thrilled and that the work is as hard as ever. So, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It, it, she says she doesn't know where the money's being spent. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just reading this now. So many companies are red and need the money to simply stay afloat. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating how, again, like, you've got Netflix who are fucking minted and the money they're investing isn't going to the people who are actually making that content for them. Yeah, and the issue with that, I think, is that a lot of people were giving Netflix flack, but Netflix, from everything that I understand, is honoring their side of the bargain. Yeah. Uh, it's the people that are handling the licensing issues that are like, where's the money going? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I do always wonder about like the the bigger companies at the top and stuff because um, I, again, I know I've mentioned One Piece a few times already, and I fucking mention One Piece every ten minutes because I'm a fucking <laughs> addict. But um, I've always found it interesting how um, Toei Animation has to do like one episode every week. Mm. It's a weekly thing, and that doesn't seem right. Uh, surely, any anime company would rather have a seasonal sort of thing where they could actually have ample time to do a block of episodes rather than um, having to churn out an episode every single fucking week. But I imagine that's dictated by like the upper companies, the, the TV broadcasters and the licenses and, mm. you know, these kind of upper echelon companies. And I just think, yeah, like all these decisions trickle down and affect the animators. However, people who are fucking commuting to work and, and, and working ridiculous shifts, working really hard... Um, and then when something sucks in quality, they're the ones who get picked on. The animators are lazy. The animators suck. It's like, well, actually, yeah. and again, there's, it's probably, the, there's probably a lot more, there's bigger issues behind the scenes it, it, that we it's don't know about. Very, it, it, it is literally the same issue uh, that exists in the video game industry, mm. uh, where uh, you have these employees that are spending ridiculous amounts of uh, work hours trying to get a product out uh, and when it doesn't get right developers are blamed you know for quite literally the same reasons as being lazy um but it's the it's the same issue um where because so many people are like viewing this as their dream job uh they're willing to work for shit um and take shit and if they, you know, want to change it, well, there's hundreds of other people that want that exact same role and will eat as much crap. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really sad because, like, yeah, if you're a fucking good animator and you've worked hard and it makes sense, you want to do that as a career. But it's sad that then these really talented, hardworking people are subjected to these awful conditions. Yeah, and um, I imagine it's the same issue with the anime industry, like, it's probably yeah, very yeah. popular there and they probably take advantage of a lot of artists that are willing to concede uh, mm. on their own well-being just so they can have a foot in the door. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's really annoying. And again, it, it's, it's from what we can gather, it's these upper people with fucking... St- it's the fucking stinking rich. It, it always comes down to that. It's the super rich of society. Don't trust the super rich because they've only become super rich through exploiting less rich 
uh, but more talented people. We're already um, off to off to the start <laughs> with the politics. Oh, dearie me, Harry Morris is attacking billionaires. Oh no, let's protect the billionaires. What a what a vulnerable group of people. <laughs> mm. Let's all get tiny violins out for the billionaires of society. Um, no, like I, I'm, I'm just guessing these upper companies, these CEOs of these upper companies, the people who make these biggest decisions, they're probably fucking rolling in it, like a lot of the time in many cases. And uh, I mean, look at like Jeff Bezos with Amazon, for example. Uh, I don't know enough about Jeff Bezos to really comment, but I know that there's like a lot of Amazon employees who have a tough time. They have a raw deal in their job. Mm. And then you've got Jeff Bezos, who is fucking like the richest guy in the world. So you, you have to think it, it's weird when someone's that rich and then the people who've kind of gotten them to where they are in terms of their company, mm. uh, they're not anywhere near yeah. that level of wealth. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, that, that's up. more of a, it, it's the same thing with YouTube where it's an infrastructure issue and it's like nobody else really yeah. has the same kind of spread. And like they like Amazon and YouTube do objectively offer very convenient products and it's yeah. very hard to make a competitor to that. To that. Um, at least at the entertainment industry, you know, people just do their own thing when they get tired of dealing with these larger companies. That's why you see so many people from like AAA uh, game devs that just go off to make their own studio. Yeah, uh, I think that's really cool when that happens, obviously, because it is those talented employees taking charge and saying, no, fuck you we're going to actually start a company that's yeah, and decent, you, you, with, with you good have, practices, good standards, and we make sure everyone who works here gets a good wage and actually, like, gets given the money that they deserve. And they have an audience for it, too, which is the the other important part. It's like, people will spend the money um, to, mm. uh, you know, give them that financial success. I fucking hate the people who seem to think it's cool or edgy to defend the billionaires. Like, you get, you get people who kind of take the approach of, like, crunch is good. Crunch time in video games is a good thing. And it's like, you can't substitute the fact that you are a complete cunt uh, by just saying, oh, look, I'm edgy and cool because I take a, a contrary alt-right viewpoint. Well, the no. thing about those is <laughs> that they're not necessarily arguing in good faith um, because they don't really, like, have any skin in that game. Uh, so the burden is on you to prove your point, but even if you prove them wrong, they can just like completely dismiss it because they're not looking to have a conversation. I mean, the same could be said of people, you know, on the exact opposite end of the political spectrum, but really it just boils down to like people not really caring. Mm. Yeah. So that's why I, these I practices think, continue. I think, I think there is just a, a demographic of people who want to be contrary for the sake of it. Mm. Look at the people who fucking um, don't want to wear face masks and stuff like that. Like that's uh, an example of people being kind of edgy and contrary just because they're fucking pathetic losers. And the only way they can feel some purpose in their life and their personality is to kind of have a, an edgy, mysterious viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, and actually, yeah. they're just pricks. To, to tie um, back into anime, but like it, it, is, <laughs> it, it is really just like the same kind of thing where these like issues are still endemic in the industry because course, people yeah. allow it to happen and like yeah. people support it yeah and yeah you're right we need to keep this focused on anime i'm uh i'm getting annoyed <laughs> and ranty already we're not even getting into the ranty topics yet 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, onto something more positive and more neutral. Nothing to get offended about here. Um, so the weekend uh, dropped the music video for his new track Snow Child off his recent album After Hours on Wednesday. And the music video uh, is animated by Japan-based anime studio The Art Shitagio. Stagio, I think. St- yeah, Stagio. Close enough, yeah. <laughs> so uh, long story short, The weekend has a new anime music video out. Um, what do you think to that? I mean, I... So I've, I've seen it and I've seen like what they've done. I, it's one of those things where I very much appreciate it and I recognize like the immense quality and talent that went into it. Um, but I'm really just more inst- interested in the studio that did it than the actual content, um, which mm-hmm. is, uh, it's, it's a studio uh, run by and supporting uh, you know, artists of color, uh, which is really cool to see, especially in what is typically a very xenophobic uh, society like Japan. Mm. Yeah, I, I know Japan has some real issues with uh, representation, and I, I, I'm sure diving into why that is would be a whole other rabbit hole that, that could go on for an entire episode. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it's really cool to obviously have a studio that's directly working to represent a marginalised community, and a community that gets fucking like no representation in Japan normally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool to see a studio actually really taking that on and thinking, no, let's do this. So, so yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't listen to the weekend's music. It's not my cup of tea stylistically, but, um, I obviously really respect that, uh, that, that, that people of color are, get, are getting that representation in anime. Cause I, I think like one of the great things about anime is it is popular with all sorts of demographics. It's not just a white thing. It is something oh, that, yeah, for sure. that is, is popular in all demographics. Mm-hmm. So I think it must be frustrating for everybody who's not kind of white male, uh, straight white male, to, to, to be into anime and then to see that there's very little representation for them. Yeah, which um, is why when it so, does happen, um, and it, it's really nice to see, especially when it's done in such a very, like, I mean, obviously, like, Dark Stagio is a very, like, concentrated effort to, like, raise those, raise that demographic and, and give voice um, and a platform for them. Uh, but another one that comes to mind immediately is uh, the studio Science Saru, uh, the studio behind uh, Azuken. And Azuken was a really nice uh series because it has a lot it, it, it's got a very diverse cast um yeah i've seen it okay it's cool yeah 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 right and it, it's got like you know characters of color um and these different personalities that aren't just your typical like here are japanese high schoolers that you've seen like 500 fucking times before um but mm. beyond that too like a lot of the studio itself is uh very diverse and international i think you've got people from like france uh korea and america just working on the same production uh which is why it's always crazy to see uh i, I think who, who was it the the composer for um made in abyss and rising of the shield hero kevin penkin um is an american uh that found his way into the anime industry um, mm. And it's like growing up, I always had this impression that anime was a very closed off industry. And to a large degree, that's still kind of the case. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just nice to see that uh, there is an effort to 
have that inclusivity that doesn't feel forced. And I, I think the important part is that it doesn't feel forced. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It, it feels organic and natural and um, it's been done in a way that's very positive and it feels very authentic. So yeah, it's really cool to see more of that. And I think I said it before in, in one of the previous episodes, it might have even been last episode, but I would fucking love to see a popular series that's really kind of mainstream, like a, a mainstream long-running shonen mm-hmm. uh, that has a protagonist of colour. Um, I mean, because you imagine if, like, say, My Hero Academia being as big as it is, if uh, Deku is dark-skinned, how, like, how humongous and cool that would be. Um, so I'd love to see a really popular series like that really kind of get that chance to to showcase a protagonist of colour. Mm-hmm. um so and obviously with it being so long, long running and so popular and mainstream it would be fantastic because not only is it great representation but it's popular representation that really stands mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. um so fingers crossed it will happen in the future but uh yeah the last uh news piece is um viz is going to publish Askawata, words of wisdom from nintendo's legendary ceo book so viz media are gonna publish um a book that basically uh documents lots of different bits from uh, Satoru Iwata's um, Ask Iwata seg- segments, his interviews, um, just kind of detailing his his wisdom and his various uh, leadership tactics, because at this point he has just become sort of like such an iconic figure as, as a brilliant CEO, someone who uh, breaks that stereotype of a kind of billionaire bastard, the stereotype I was referring to earlier. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. he, he actually really tries to do a good job as, as a as a CEO. So yeah, I, I think I might even pick that up because I think that's really cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, like, obviously you have like the horror stories, right. Of the people that are exploiting their employees or people that are very clearly like detached from the products that they're actually making. um, And they're just rehashing whatever's popular, um, which is why like, like figures like Iwata and Miyamoto um, are very much revered because they have a very, distinct identity uh as people that enjoy the enjoy the medium um i've i've been thinking of getting back into final fantasy 14 uh and Mm. one of the things about it too is that the creative director slash producer behind it uh yoshi p is a very uh transparent uh person who like takes the time to talk to the fans of the game uh, discuss discuss issues that they might be having. I think one of the the cool things uh, that I read from him in an interview was like somebody was concerned that they felt like the game wasn't becoming was becoming unfun that it felt like a chore. Uh, and Yoshi P's response was, "Yeah, you know, if you want to take a break, that is totally fine. Just come back when you feel like you can enjoy the game. Um, yeah. Don't force it, right? And it's just very nice to see." people like Awada who was who were very in touch not just with the games but with the people that played them yeah it is really cool and i think with Awata, obviously he wasn't just that ceo he was a programmer he was a fan of video exactly, games he yeah, was somebody yeah. who he, he, i think there's something like you're saying sometimes you get these ceos who just like let's take it obviously back to anime um you probably get a lot of people who run big anime companies or ceos of these larger kind of television companies who don't give a fuck about animation quality or the quality of an anime series mm-hmm. they just think what's the money coming in what's the how many of these episodes can we put out and how much money can we make mm-hmm. and it's great when you get a ceo who's like no let's put out something of great quality that we can all feel proud of 
And because it's such great quality, the money will naturally come in because it's brilliant. Yeah. And we've seen that so many times from Nintendo. Look at Breath of the Wild. There were no microtransactions. To be fair, with uh, Nintendo, no... though, they did have a long stretch of time, particularly with the Wii U generation, where they were uh, having a lot of misses. But the thing is, yeah. is that, like, in order to, like, achieve that creative vision, right, it's very risky because you don't know what will pay off, especially if you're taking chances on new technology. Yeah, I think this is the inevitable thing of a Nintendo. It's not that they're bad in any way. It's just that because they take risks and they try to innovate, inevitably not all of it will be good. I feel like the Wii U was the necessary prototype to get us to the Switch. It was. And so you could, you could say the Wii U was a miss, but we wouldn't have the Switch without the Wii U. Right, but that's... And the Switch like, is phenomenal, but we, we needed the Wii U as that first step. Yeah, yeah. As that kind of trial. And, and yeah, it, it didn't work for them, but then they followed up with the Switch, which is, like, widely successful and critically acclaimed. But it's like, I understand why, like, you know, I, I well, I don't necessarily agree with it, but... Uh, if you're a multi-billion dollar company and you have like three to four years of, you know, less than stellar profits, like that would be like, I, I feel like any other studio would be like, all right, let's go back to what worked and let's just make like normal console games. But they very much took a risk with the Switch um, and there really isn't a console like it uh, just in terms of portability, in terms of like usability with the... Uh, joy cons and how that can get integrated in the gameplay like yeah. it, it was a high risk but the, it was a high you, reward you've essentially got a console with the graphical capabilities of say xbox 360 it um, probably even less but yeah right yeah but, but it's like portable <clears throat> and it's like to have that is incredible um one of my favorite stories about sitaro water and, and again this is why i think he's so great is um when the wii u is failing and when they were obviously like shit we're making we're losing lots of money. We need to lay some people off. He actually took a voluntary pay cut mm. of like, mm-hmm. I, I think it was like a humongous amount of his, of his wage. So they didn't have to lay anyone off. So yeah. all of the employees could continue getting paid. A lot of CEOs, in fact, the majority of CEOs would say, lay loads of people off so I don't have to take a pay cut. But Satari Iwata was like, no, because even if I take a pay cut, I'm still going to be rich. I don't need all that money. I can take a pay cut and it means that other people can survive. And I think this is a thing, is the difference between a cold-hearted, self-serving, greedy cunt who just wants lots and lots of money and mm. someone who actually, yeah, sure, they want money and they want to live in comfort, but but they want to actually support others as well. Mm-hmm. And they care about others. They, they think, oh, yeah, sure, I want money, but I want my friends to have money and I want other people in yeah, society I mean, to have money. Like, I, want, um... I want everyone to be all right. Part of that too, um, and while I'm sure you know he was very much taking like his employees' well-being into account, like I'm sure Owada like very much believed in the company and the products that they were making. Um, yeah. To where it's like it, it it always feels weird whenever you like hear those stories. You know, we keep going back to Amazon, but here's Amazon. Um, like stories of you know how much money uh, Bezos makes and how like how much people at the bottom are having those financial issues and being forced to come into work, right? Um, like, why couldn't Amazon just, you know, kind of take a few punches to the gut uh, in terms yeah, of finances just so that yeah. they, A, you know, can keep their employees supported and as I mean, a result, like, keep them, like, loyal to the company and B, like, have that public-facing 
uh, presentation of, hey, we are taking care of our employees. Like, Nintendo yeah. has a lot of issues. When, when you look at how much money Jeff Bezos has, mm-hmm. you think, how, how much could he raise his employees' wages by and still be a billionaire? Yeah. Because like, I, I, bet, I bet he could raise it by so much. Nintendo for has... Every, for every single employee yeah. and still be a billionaire. Nintendo has its issues. I really dislike the way it handles its online uh, usability, which is next to non-existent. I don't like the fact that they make it hard to play a lot of their older games. I don't like... Uh, there, there's a lot of issues I have with Nintendo. Um, mm. But I have always, like viewed them as a company that i would be happy to support if that makes yeah. sense right or it's like even though like i don't necessarily like I, I i full disclosure like i'm a fan of the old paper mario games and i am never touching the new ones um mm. yeah it's iffy to like for for me i'm sure that they're fun games but i feel very disappointed as a fan of games that did well and were well received uh, that they're kind of just ignoring that but regardless like i still think that they're a company that is making an effort to at least make games that are fun uh while keeping their employees in mind mm. yeah that, that's it and um I, I i think like whatever people say about nintendo as well like you can't deny they've made some of the greatest games ever made and they saved the video game industry with the original Super Mario game. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's like, I you know, whenever someone criticizes Nintendo, I think like you can't knock their legacy or their their quality. You can definitely want better from them, mm. um, but I think there's enough. They've done enough good that it's like I can accept it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think, yeah, like, companies making mistakes in terms of certain things, it's, it's kind of inevitable. Like, Nintendo have been around for decades and decades now, but overall, when you look at them, they've got a pretty clean track record. And mm-hmm. I, it's the thing, again, on this topic of video game companies, I always kind of reference Xbox, where when they first announced the Xbox One at E3, and they had all those really awful ideas of, like, um, you can't trade games in, and, and you have to always be online. And it felt so non-consumer friendly. So even if you say, like, at times Nintendo isn't consumer-friendly, it's, like, at least they're not as bad as Xbox, because fucking hell, like, the Xbox One was them going into full prick mode. Yeah, it's doing better now. It's doing better now. And I, you know, am a little biased because I work for them. (laughs) Of course, yeah. But I I can't really... I I think they're they're doing a a better (laughs) job, and it's, like... I can't ask you to slate Xbox (laughs) when you work for them. (laughs) Um, But, again, I, I, I think that, you know... It's the same thing that we're seeing with like you know studios like Dark Studio or Trigger um, that are you know taking a very holistic approach in terms of making sure that they're making quality content, but not at not while sacrificing, uh, yeah. you know their their workforce. And it, it, yeah. it's a very rough line to tread, and like a lot of people oftentimes like don't succeed with it. So it's nice to see success stories. Yeah. So to summarize, Satoru Iwata is really cool. Um, more representation in anime, please. And uh, CEOs, sort your shit out. Mm. Um, maybe buy this Satoru Iwata book to learn how to actually treat employees with some decency and respect. Um, so there we have it. Right. Uh, it's time for the main topic. Kyle, do you have a theme song for us? A theme song for the main topic? Um, no. 
No. Well, there uh, we go. We, I, I uh, wanted to put you on the spot just to be a dick. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't come up with... I, my mind immediately went to Queen, but that's a very basic choice. I don't know if ooh, that works ooh, out. Oh, main topic, motherfucker. Yo, there we go. There's a theme song. Oh, that's... The, okay. um, well, there we go. Absolutely banging. Too. Number one. Right, so uh, time to go into uh, a potentially controversial issue. Um, so about two months ago, I wrote an article, and it's probably my favourite article I've ever written because it's about something that is very dear to me and I care about very deeply. Um, it's a topic everyone loves. No one ever gets offended over it. No one ever gets bothered about it. Uh, it it's just a really happy topic. It's, it's veganism. Uh, of course, everyone has... Uh, everyone agrees on it and there's no disagreement of course um, so anyways I wrote this article because there is a series called Promise Neverland it's an anime series it's a manga series and the general premise is there are kids at an orphanage they're, they're living at this orphanage and the first episode begins it's like oh great happy it, it is what it is um, and at the end of this episode one of these orphans gets led away from the group they get led away under the pretense that they're going to be adopted, they're going to be uh, fostered by a, a new family. Um, and what you find out is that this this little girl called Connie is led away and she's then killed. And she's killed to be fed to demons. And the idea of this series is the children living at this orphanage are essentially kept there as a source of meat. A source of meat for a species that's higher than them, that species being demons. So they're on a farm. It's not an orphanage, it's a farm. And they are the meat for uh, the demons. Now, I wrote this article trying to discuss the idea that there is a comparison to be made between this and real world farming. There are children being kept at this orphanage to be uh, killed and then fed to demons. There are animals kept at farms to be killed and fed to humans. I feel like that, that similarity is blatant, even if you hate veganism and you disagree with it entirely. I feel that similarity is kind of um, objective. It, it's clear cut. I mean, would you agree? Uh, so it, it's always an issue of intent, right? Um, yeah. And what it was made for and whether or not the people behind Promise Neverland like, were, are, are vegans or explicitly had like animal cruelty in mind. Uh, but that doesn't discount the fact that it can still function as an allegory for that issue. It, it can function as a comparison. Furthermore, though, there are actually parts later in the manga that go deeper. There's mm. a, a, a hunting reserve where demons go to hunt people, um, much like real-life animal hunting reserves. And there's even a mention of factory farming, and it showcases factory farming, which is the idea of these farms in the universe of the Promised Neverland where... Uh, children are kept and they are kind of hooked up to machines. There's no welfare, there's no standards. And to me, mm. again, the mention of factory farming shows that clearly the author is comparing that to real life factory farming. Mm -hmm. if, if you're discussing the concept of factory farming in your story, uh, to then say there's no comparison to real world factory farming, it's like, well, there must be. It, it, it's like... I mean, it's like writing a story and then it's a fantasy story. And in this fantasy story, there are banks and it's discussed how the banks work and they work very similarly to real world banks. And someone says, well, there's no comparison. It's like, well, yeah. there is. I, I, They're both I think, banks. So <laughs> the, it's the whole idea of death of the author, right? Um, that as soon as a piece of media 
uh, is released to the public. It is out of the author's hands. And I think a very pertinent example is with J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. Uh, mm. I don't know how aware you are of the shitstorm that's been happening over the past few years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, uh, uh, she's not got particularly good views on trans people. Yeah, she is uh, very abrasive uh, and exclusionary uh, when it comes to um, trans people. And the unfortunate side effect of that is that, you know, that's very important to a lot of people for whom, like, like trans rights are very important. Mm. Uh, so for them, it is it feels like that they're being betrayed by what was a very important part of their you know, upbringing, of, of, right? Of course. Of a very well, she's piece of important this, piece of media. This long-running fantasy series, it does have a kind of liberal slant with how it represents marginalised people. Mm-hmm. And then to sort of throw away that legacy by really sticking to her guns on this... By being inclusive of, like, most people instead of all people... Um, mm. But that's why uh, one of the things that was really nice to see uh, out of all of this was Daniel Radcliffe, uh, the actor. You know, I don't need, yeah. I don't know why I need to explain. He's Harry Potter, right? <laughs> um, for the people that haven't uh, watched, Emma Watson as well. He plays Hermione. Um, I think uh, the actress who plays Luna Lovegood. I can't remember her name. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people came out saying, obviously, you know, we love Joe. We we think she's yep. great, but we do yeah. disagree with her on this. And trans women are women, trans men are men. Yeah, but the important... I think the important part of their message was that if this book meant something to you, or if the series meant something to you, what J.K. Rowling is saying does not invalidate that and does not take away from your relationship with that media. Uh, And I think while, you know, not exactly the same kind of issue, it's very related to what's going on with your... Um, you know, take on veganism and Promise Neverland with the idea that while it may not explicitly have been the author's intent, you can still find plenty of parallels and plenty of meaning uh, in Promise Neverland towards the issues of veganism to the point where it really isn't necessarily about like proving that it's about veganism and more about helping to illustrate the idea and the points. Yeah. And again, what I will say is that we say veganism, it it could be vegetarianism as well. It, it's just about the idea of um, living creatures being farmed for another species mm-hmm. to eat. Right. And, and that, that isn't a kind of subjective interpretation. That is what the series is literally about. It is about living creatures being killed on a farm for other creatures mm-hmm. to eat. That, that is the premise of the series. I mean, like, if someone disagrees with that, that's yeah, and the, that, that is just wrong. It, it, it's hard, <laughs> right? Because this is a very, and I think we've talked about this before, where just the idea of eating meat, right, is very much ingrained um, mm. and is a given. Um, and like, you know, full disclosure, like I eat meat. Um, yeah. Uh, but but it's still like we're we're not trying to force people to say, uh, you know, you're as bad as demons, but. Uh, <laughs> It is still like, and I think that's the issue uh, because like the way you present the article, it is very like, leave it open to the audience and presenting it as like yeah. an opinion. The problem is that this opinion uh, is framed in such a way where people who don't believe in veganism, right? Or like even actively oppose it, view it as a moral attack against their standards. I, I think this is it. It's it's a strange one. I, th- I think ego comes into it a lot. I think um, 
entitlement comes into it a lot. I think cultural and, and historic bias comes into it. Uh, there are a lot of facets that affect this debate, and I think that's why it's frustrating for me to see the debate reduced to kind of like, oh, but I fucking love bacon. It's frustrating to see something that is ultimately a very complex debate. You can still love morality. bacon. We're, we're not saying don't <laughs> yeah, love yeah. bacon, but it, it, just it, at it, least be I, aware of where that bacon's coming from. Uh, it is a complex debate concerning morality, concerning bias, concerning culture, concerning history, concerning capitalism, concerning um, exploitation, con- concerning slavery, concerning poor welfare for both animals and humans, concerning the environment. There are so many facets that come into it. Um, of course, personal health as well and, and dietary things. It is, it is an extremely complicated and deep debate, which is why whatever side someone falls on, I just hope that people approach it with an open mind and I hope that people approach it um, with with curiosity and, and fascination and with the hopes of furthering the debate rather than reducing it to, oh, but vegans are fucking pussies, mm. fuck vegans, that kind of thing. Because the thing about people it is say, like, oh, vegans are so pretentious, it's like you're reducing such a complicated debate to just such silly, trivial, petty bias. Because it's like, if you look at Promise Neverland, right, and you look at the story and how it's presented, like, why don't you just ask those questions and be like, what can you see out of this that does relate to veganism? Even though you may not necessarily agree with it, like, it it costs you nothing to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And that's what I wanted to do with my article. So I wanted to try and write an article that, um, I realize I've not fully explained what the article is yet. So, um, yeah, so that's what the premise of the series is. And the article essentially discusses this premise um, and asks questions. It doesn't want to say, you should do this, you should do that. It doesn't try to tell people to be vegan or to, to, to do that because I didn't want to be preachy. I didn't want to be a preachy vegan. Inevitably, I think whenever you're discussing something that's a contentious issue, you will fall on the side of being preachy. Um, I, I think for a lot of vegans, myself included, uh, you grow to care about veganism as much as you care about something like racism or homophobia and that you do want to speak out about it you do want to be vocal about it because you care about it so deeply and you know that there is a real world effect environmentally and in terms of what's happening to animals that should be stamped out immediately with haste but by discussing that you inevitably are being pretentious you are being uh you're being a prick let's say to most people anyway um, so it's a difficult dilemma because you want to speak about this issue, but you know that 99% of people will hate you for it. So it's a really weird one to discuss. But yeah, the article just kind of asks questions saying, um, you know, like, like if you are on the side of these children in The Promised Everlanders, you naturally will be because they are the protagonists. If you are saying it's not fair that the demons eat these children, if it's not fair that they farm these children and eat them, well, why is it fair that we do that to animals? Is it comparable morally? Is it comparable ethically? Is there a comparison to be made? And if you are somebody who disagrees with veganism and who eats meat, should you then be rooting for the demons? Because, oh, it's their way of life, it's history, it's what they've always done, it tastes good, it's their right as demons to do this, humans aren't as intelligent as demons, the same kind of arguments used to defend consuming meat and dairy... Should that be applied here? So I tried to ask all these questions, which I thought were quite interesting. Even if you don't like veganism, I thought it's a good uh, puzzler. It's a brain thinker. And um, I thought it was cool. I got mixed reception. (laughs) 
I am. Um, That's putting it I, very nicely. Put it nicely. I did get some really lovely comments. Now I'm going to mm-hmm. go through some of them. Some of them really made my day. Um, some of them made my fucking blood boil. And we're going to go through them as well. And I, I, I want to kind of share them with you. Maybe, maybe you. go with the blood boiling first, uh, <laughs> then cap it off with a nice uh, yeah, a nice I, I've got an, a nice one first, just to kind of like lube us up and get us oh in. My God. But um, yeah, I've got some negative ones later. Um, but I wanted to kind of get your opinion um, as someone who's like not vegan, but also from what I can gather, not an anti-vegan. You, you've got quite a neutral stance on it, from what I can gather. Um, so hopefully, it won't descend into any kind of uh, debate or whatever. And it'll be pretty chill, so it should be fun. Mm. So first, first comment. This was on Goomba Stomp. This is from someone called Taylor. Um, this is a great article and poses a lot of questions that came to my own mind as I read it. For me, I believe that if, uh, if, if I have the means to not eat meat and can fully afford to go plant-based, this is what I'm going to do. However, if something happens similar to Emma and the cattle children hunting to survive, then I will survive, but not disrespect or disregard the life I took. Mm. Again, great article. Thank you for writing it. So this is someone who's not vegan who has enjoyed the article. And, and I think that's really cool. Someone who's obviously not in that vegan camp where they can at least read the article and think, this is cool. This this makes me think. It makes me ask some questions. That is exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I was going for, just to try and make an interesting article. What are your thoughts on it? Thanks, Taylor. That's more or less where I stand. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is the idea that um, a, a large part of it too, really, is like the idea of... Uh, just making that switch being unfeasible at the moment because there aren't great alternatives. I think yeah. that's really what prevents a lot of people from doing it. Aside from the fact that you know vegan food is you know very different, like you have to change a lot of your expectations uh, and your diet, and just in terms of what you yeah. consume. And for a lot of people, that's very important. But the other important issue is how inaccessible that is if you want to maintain your current intake of food right Mm. just because uh a lot of these substitutions like tofu dogs or you know other things they're either not great or they're super expensive like i I, there's all of those uh plant-based burgers the the beyond meat stuff now um it's getting better it's getting better it's getting better but it is not at a point where you can eat that and be like oh yeah i'll never go back to meat again if this is available because it has to it has to satisfy two different qualities, which is it has to meet the price and it has to meet the exact quality, uh, which yeah. is hard. Um, and in both regards, it's, like a lot of people aren't willing to concede on that. But mm. it's like, you know, like Taylor mentioned, thanks again, Taylor, for a nice comment, because that's more or less where I stand, which is I understand where my food is coming from. Um, and I try to at least like buy by by locally sourced um but even then that's like i can afford to do that for somebody who's uh like making minimum wage and in some states like minimum wage is you know eight bucks an hour um that's like they have to go for the cheapest stuff and unfortunately the cheapest stuff is propagated by industries that rely on very factory factory farms because that allows them to undercut the cost we're we're quite fortunate in the uk and but even though obviously there's still plenty of issues Factory farms aren't as common, but I do know in the US, um, your your animal standards are fucking apparent, to be perfectly yeah, blunt. Um, and that's bit. not even like a vegan standpoint. Like, I, 
I, I don't know. I'd struggle to live in the US and really kind of eat meat and sleep at night, to be perfectly honest. No offence, but um, it's a tough one because mm. there are some bad animal standards. Um, but no, so, so regarding what Taylor says, um, he it, like he mentions the means to the financial means to not eat meat. I think that's a big issue for, for a lot of people. And I think it's um, what it comes down to, of course, it's supply and demand. For more people who buy vegan products, for more companies who join the fray because they say, wow, this is actually selling. Let's jump in. Mm-hmm. And with that, they start to undercut one another. So as that happens, the prices will become cheaper because more companies are joining the fray and they're all trying to undercut one another. It's consumer capitalism, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So really it comes down to those people who can afford it to go vegan and to say, I can afford it, I can do it, I can budget this in, let's do it to try and help these products become more affordable and more accessible so lower income people can afford them. Um, And I think you'd be surprised if you know what you're buying, if you shop smart, you can actually do it on a budget and it it can really work. I don't have a lot of money, but I can do it. Um, And my girlfriend's doing it currently and she doesn't have a lot of money and she has two kids and she's still able to do it. So... um, yeah, when you when you know what you're buying and you know how you do it, it is possible. Um, but it, it it takes a bit of research. It takes a bit of time. And even that research and time for a lot of people isn't desirable. Um, so I understand. Another one, he, he says how um, if he has to survive, he will. And I, I think that's another point that I think people get confused on. There's still this argument, if you were vegan, but you're on a desert island, and would you eat a chicken if that was all you had to survive? And of course you would. Because when your life's in danger, you would do anything, wouldn't you? Yeah. And it it goes back to, say, the plane crash in the Andes, where um, the, the survivors of this plane crash in the Andes actually survived for long enough by cannibalizing the dead bodies, cannibalizing the corpses of the people who died in the plane crash. That doesn't mean cannibalism is morally just. But in that case, it's very clearly like in the, that case, the, yeah. the not, it's very morally reprehensible, like objectively. But you take it into the context of they're literally going to die Ex- unless they do exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, when you're going to die. When it's, it's the same as saying, you know, you'd never kill someone. But if someone was running at you with an axe and all you had to defend yourself was a gun if, and, and you, you, would, mm-hmm. you would shoot them and kill them because you think, well, if I didn't do that, I'm going to die. It doesn't. But in another context, murder is obviously really bad. So, so context really does kind of affect morality. So speaking of context, when it's framed in the promise Neverland, the demons are always like portrayed as very gluttonous. And for them, like eating the kids is a luxury. And I think for the vast majority of people, eating meat and eating dairy is a luxury. They do it not because they need to do it, but because they like to do it. If you said to the majority of people, do you need meat to survive? The answer is no. Do you need dairy to survive? The answer is no. I can say this. I used to fucking love milk chocolate. That was my addiction. I would eat milk chocolate all the time. I loved it. And it was one of the biggest holdouts for me before going vegan. But I had to ask, well, I don't need it to survive, do I? And it was one of my friends who said, what's more important to you, taste or life? And it's a common thing with vegans say now. The idea is if you're going and you're buying animal products because you enjoy the way they taste, you are essentially saying, my taste buds, my benefit, my fun, is more important than the life of an animal. And it obviously goes into the argument of you can't really call yourself an animal lover if you're putting your taste buds above that, above the life of an animal. Um, and I, I also think that's kind of comparable to, uh, to trophy hunting, a lot of people despise trophy hunting, myself included, of course. But 
it's technically no different because you are putting your fun, your enjoyment, that fun and enjoyment being going to Africa to shoot a lion. What a what a blast. You're putting that above an animal's life. Okay, so I mean, if you're looking at this from like all of the, like, obviously, you know, thank you, Taylor. Uh, that was a very like level-headed yes. comment, right? <laughs> um, but for a lot of people, like, they do treat it very much as having their way of life attacked. Of course, yes. I, I, and I think it's, it's comparable to a gun debate in America where, um, again, we won't go into that as a whole other topic. <laughs> we don't want to offend too many people, but um, that's another one where the reason people are so passionate on it is because owning guns is a way of life to them. And whenever you criticise that, irrespective of the angle you take when criticising it, it will always offend people because you are saying this thing you love to do, stop doing it. Mm. And no one wants to hear that. And I get it. I get why people don't want to hear it. But um, there's only so much footage you can watch of animals being killed and uh, farming practices happening before you think, fucking hell, like, I'm becoming pretentious. I'm becoming mm. a pretentious vegan. I mean, what were some of the you, negative comments that you got stuff? regarding? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you, Taylor. That was, that was a good comment. Um, so this is from MNTL, Mental, maybe. I don't, I don't know what they're trying to go for there. This article gives me the feeling you're a really annoying person to talk to or be around. In fairness, they're kind of true there. But anyways, um, <laughs> The Promised Neverland hasn't once been about these topics. You're changing the entire series to fit your own agenda, and it's disgusting. The Promised Neverland is entertainment, nothing more. It's not a political statement or a means of pushing an agenda. You're just an insufferable asshole for trying to turn it into that. Wow. So, what do you think? I mean, we already one? dug into that where death of the author and everything. Um, yeah. But I think that, ironically enough, they're twisting what the show is actually about to make it about what they want it to be about. Um, mm. Yes, it being entertainment and it having a message are not mutually exclusive. Mm. Like, you can have a very, like, it is very well done. It's got very great, tense pacing. Um, it, it's a great story. But... Like you can't ignore the fact that these kids are literally being fucking farmed. Like, wh- yeah. wh- what else is the show about? Like, that's literally what the show is about. <laughs> it, it it seems odd to me to watch the show to see a show about kids being farmed, and to not want to compare that to any. It real reminds world me a lot. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Starship Troopers. Um, I've not. No, is it good? It, I I enjoyed. It. It's very campy. Um. And the thing about it is that it's very over-the-top violent. um, And it is very xenophobic. It's very, like, gung-ho militaristic. But it's done to the point where everything is, like, dialed up to 11. To where if you're literally just not paying attention to what the movie's saying, it will seem like a very jingoistic, war-hawk kind of pro-military movie which is how people reacted to it when it came out. But it's dialing up everything to the extreme to show how stupid the military industrial complex is and how like morally reprehensible it is. So it's, it's honestly like the burden is on the viewer to like have the, have enough intelligence to understand the context of everything. So I'll go ahead and say it. MNTL. Fuck you. Yeah. Are you fucking blind? That's literally what yeah. the show's about, you jackass. And and, and again, I, I know that uh, 
I know that clearly I have a bias and an agenda. I get it. But um, at the end of the day, even if you disagree with it, even if you think, ah, yeah, well, the show is about this and, and I disagree with it, at least observe it, at least acknowledge that is what the show is about. Even if you hate vegans, you hate veganism and you think it's all stupid, at least acknowledge what the show is about and don't be like delusional about yeah, it. Yeah, because it's like you, you can say, I don't think this is about veganism, although I believe that, you know, sure, you... you the, the other argument to have about this, right, or at least like the right way to have this argument, is recognizing that that's what the show is about, but not necessarily thinking that it really ties into veganism or is about veganism. Um, mm. So again, because I think you're having like two very different discussions here, which is, um, Harry, you're using it as a way to illustrate the points of veganism, while MNTL, uh, whoever this person is, is taking the reductive argument of saying that's not what the show is about. Sure, the show isn't about veganism, but it is about things that are relevant to veganism, you dumbass. It is is about living creatures being farmed for the luxury benefit of other living creatures. Yeah, and you can say that like it is entertaining, it is a very tense show, it is is also about kids trying to escape and survive, but what are they trying to escape and survive from? Yeah. And um, this is a great thing, I, I feel it, if you only need to watch the first episode to get a fuller context of what the show is, because following that, it is more so about a kind of escape story, a prison break kind of thing. But the, the initial setup is based on this, mm-hmm. and um, that is the narrative that continues throughout um, in the background. So next comment, this is a short one, it's from someone called Agai, so a very uh, uh, complicated and uh, creative username. Vegans are why people don't like veganism. And this article is a really great example of it. Um, and I, I understand. I understand what a guy is saying because I do think a lot of vegans, myself included, can be pretentious and can get very fired up on this topic. And uh, it can really irritate people. And, and I'm not blind to that. And I think the majority of vegans aren't blind to but that. But at that point, you're not having an argument, argument about the ideas. You're having an argument against the person. Well, this is exactly it. And this is kind of what I was going to get to. Even if you hate certain vegans, even if you... Because there's other comments later on that kind of discuss this, but even if you hate certain vegans and you think some vegans are really pretentious, they're really overly passionate about this topic, it still doesn't have any bearing on the message. Even if you think some vegans are annoying, at the end of the day, the message is still the message. Mm-hmm. The, the morals are still the morals. The point is still the point. Maybe what you could be asking yourself is... Why are vegans so passionate about this? The problem because I can is, tell you, there's, there's a fucking reason. <laughs> I, I, while I don't agree with their extremely reductive viewpoint, I get why it's happening. Um, by yeah. Identity politics, right? Uh, it, it's the idea that people have these beliefs and base their entire existence around these beliefs uh, without really conceding for it, and any opposing view is seen as an attack. So I, I definitely... like it, it happens on both ends, where people who are... Um, on one end of the spectrum, view the others as completely just being in the wrong and any beliefs that they have are an attack against them and vice versa, right? So for this person, this guy, uh, for them, this article is very much uh, that kind of stance where it's against, where it's seen as a personal attack. Yeah. And that's it. Like, I understand people who don't like vegans. I I get it. but um. I think the thing to keep in mind is that vegans being passionate about veganism, it's 
identical to when people hate racism and they're very passionate and outspoken over that. Uh, or pe- people hate um, the discrimination of the LGBT plus community and they're very passionate about that. Um, and I think the difference with veganism is that we're kind of at a point where, uh, for the most part in society, you can defend people of colour, for example, and a lot of people kind of support that and will say, yeah, like, racism's awful. Veganism is, is still something where, um, obviously, if you try to defend animals, uh, a lot of people will still disagree with you. And I, I do want to make the point, because this, this could sound, like, quite sketchy about me giving that context. Um, when you discuss veganism, vegans aren't the victims, for one second. I'm not trying to compare vegans to marginalised communities here, because vegans are not the victims. Vegans are just the people who are trying to give a voice to the animals who don't have voices. Because animals are victims. They are the marginalised group here. And they are the most marginalised group in the world. And that might sound controversial to say, but technically when you think about it, 60 billion animals a year are killed for meat. So actually I think it's fair to say they are the most marginalised group in the world. When it comes to a group with the least amount of rights, but then it gets in, it gets into the point, and I can see where people are taking it with the promised Neverland, right? Where it's like these kids can express themselves, and they are humans, so naturally there is more of that like relationship. But instead of using that as a way to like empathize with you know animals, right? A lot of people would view that as no, they're entirely separate. Which that yeah. I, I can understand and I'll, I, I don't necessarily agree with it, um, but I think to a point uh, the, 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 the premise of the Promised Neverland and having the kids in the place of the animals doesn't exactly change my mind enough, but that doesn't mean I don't see the comparison. You have to use your imagination a little bit as well because you have to think, how would a demon justify killing humans? Because they would possibly use the same arguments Humans aren't as intelligent as us. Human life isn't comparable to demon life. Demons are so much greater. And you would start to see the same kind of species bias. Yeah. Um, and this idea of speciesism, the idea of absolute species supremacy. Again, and and, and I, I think the important, the important thing to distinguish... To, to human-related discrimination. The important thing to distinguish, again, is that these are comparisons, and it's hard to d- separate... Um, what is implied with those comparisons. So by saying that this issue, that the Promised Neverland is about this issue of veganism, you're inevitably, like, you're de facto saying that, like, people who eat meat are demons and are evil because the show is framing the demons as the villains, the demons as the antagonists, Mm. and the demons as running these farms as being evil people who are just harvesting kids for their own sick pleasure. And because of that, if you draw the comparisons to real-life veganism, you're inevitably putting people who eat meat in that position. So yeah, that, that, that's I, I the unfortunate part of it. I, is that, I that is the unfortunate There, there is I the think. morality argument and the morality attachment to it. People I would not... personally attacked. And yeah. I wouldn't say... I would not say that people who eat meat are as evil as demons are as evil or anything like that. But asking them to suspend their disbelief or, or like in terms of understanding that eating meat does not make you a demon uh it's just it, it is hard to separate the issue from yeah. the context what gets on my nerves really because I, I i want to reiterate i don't mind anyone who who like, like you've got to keep in mind i ate meat until i was 20 so so i ate meat for 20 years then i saw some uh factory farming footage and it really got under my skin, it really repulsed me. So I gave up meat there and then. I continued to eat dairy for a further two years. 
until I met a vegan and she kind of uh, gave me a hard time over it. She was arguably a pretentious vegan, but actually <sighs> I'm really glad she was because she made me change. And it was when uh, she kind of confronted me and said like, oh, like you're vegetarian, that's cool, why not vegan? And I was like, oh, well, I just really like chocolate and I don't think I can give up chocolate. And she said, oh, okay, so you think your taste buds are more important than an animal's life. Cool, good to know where your morals are. Sounds like a really shitty thing to say, but then I thought, well, I, I don't have an answer to that. I don't actually have defence to what she just said. So therefore, I feel her point is somewhat valid because I can't come it back to that. It is valid. Um, it's just the framing and messaging is everything. Oh, totally. Because yeah, like, if I heard that, I would like <laughs> just walk away. And I don't even, yeah. I don't even feel just, I don't even feel like I need to justify a response. But I think I was already on the fence and that was the difference. So that's I fair. Was already, and, and I, was, I already kind of wanted to go vegan. I was just kind of making excuses for myself. So it was more so like a kick up the yeah. arse that I needed. And I think um, that's the unfortunate part of like talking about these kinds of issues within the context of media or just in any kind of context really is that the argument really isn't for the people that are hardlined against veganism and are ready to argue it into a pit. It's yeah. for the people like Taylor uh, who yeah, are on the fence, fence or at least like considering and, it and open-minded and this enough. This is the thing, yeah, like I, I really respect Taylor's viewpoint. I really respect your point because neither one of you is taking this sort of explicit uh, action against vegans. The people who really irritate me are the people who take that very venomous anti-vegan stance. Because um, I, I just think, like, look, stop being such a cunt, to be honest. <laughs> to be honest. I just think, like, it's just a bit much. But um, but anyways, are you ready for a super negative comment? Oh, boy. So, this guy, uh, Gorup in your guts. So he's got quite a violent username. Oh, what a cheeky boy. Um, he commented this on Reddit, and he also commented it on Goombastomp. I spoke to him for quite a while on Reddit. Okay. Um, it's a long fucking comment. So we're going to be here for a few minutes. Is that all cool? Uh, I, I'd say just give like the, the quick bullet points of it. <laughs> okay. Holy shit. That is a bunch of spazzing and bad analogies in that article. And lol, at killing animals not being moral. Animals kill animals all the time. Oh, hate to tell you, but plants are alive and there is some research saying they feel pain as well. So he... He goes on for a long time. I, I'll, I'll give you a bullet point. Um, he speaks about morality a bit. Um, he, he obviously discusses the idea that like, demons eating people is not comparable to people eating cows. Um, I suppose sort of making some of the points we've already made. Um, but uh, what he goes on for for a long time is about plants and, and plant life and the idea that plants are sentient. Um, and this is what I see a lot of people talking about. A lot of um, anti-vegans kind of go to this point of like, Vegans are just as bad because they eat plants. But there's a lot of stuff I want to say to that, but, but I'll throw it over to you first. What do you think to it? I think this is another case of somebody arguing in bad faith um, mm. that they're not really looking to be convinced. They're looking to prove you wrong. Mm. So it's not a conversation. It's not a debate. They're mm. not giving yeah. you equal voice. Yeah. I'm I'm reading some of the, some of it now because it is a long comment. Um, yeah, so he says at one point there is no veganism in the promised Neverland. You are giving it a Marxist vegan reading. I, I mean, I where mean, the fuck does like, the Marxist come from? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like whenever people start to say things like that, they talk about veganism. They start to use things like Marxist, communist, um, 
I just think they're they're right wing people who hate liberal agendas because typically veganism is kind of coupled with more liberal progressive agendas, understandably. So I feel like from people like this, you just think, right, okay, you're very right wing. I'm guessing. Um, he says at one point, I have dated and even married a vegetarian and never tried to get her to stop. She did get me to stop eating veal, but that is it. She wasn't political or anything, just too fucking nice. Now, I really get annoyed when people make points like this because it's just like, what's the point of it? Like, I don't care if you dated and married a vegetarian. If anything, wouldn't that... It like, means nothing. W- wouldn't that be even more reason for them to be accepting of you expressing your opinion? Yeah, make your wife happy. Because you probably can't, you fucking limp-dicked prick. Anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, people like this really wind me up. So he takes a long time discussing the idea that, that plants can feel pain. Um, and this is something that a lot of people say. Um, let's just say that plants can feel pain because there, there are all sorts of different studies on this. Some people say they can feel pain. Some people say they can't. Even if plants do feel pain, this is how we look at it. Veganism isn't about perfection. It is about trying to reduce our negative impact to other living beings as much as feasibly possible, namely animals. So it's about trying to be as ethical as we can with what we eat. It's about trying to say what we consume and put into our bodies should be as free of cruelty and suffering as much as feasibly possible. Yeah, I think, what, what, what is it? It's that, uh, it's that logical fallacy of what, what aboutism, where it's like, just because, it, it, it's not a binary, right? Um, where it's either you, you know, don't eat any living thing, or you make those concessions where you can. And just because you can't like be completely, you can't exist completely without like harming some kind of other living organism doesn't mean you shouldn't try to achieve it as much as possible. That's it, yeah, because this is the thing. It's like, um, well, firstly, so I, I did come back to this guy and I won't read all my comments or anything, but um, one of the points I made was obviously the idea that, that the majority of plant life is fed to animals. Um, because when it comes to the, the, the manufacturization of uh, animal grain and animal feed, which is obviously fed predominantly to animals, well, purely to animals, because um, we, we kill 60 billion animals a year. And again, like I, I don't want to waffle on with sources here, so people can look things up, obviously, and, and do their research in their own time. But um, uh, animal feed is made primarily of... of uh, I, I, let me look it up, actually, because I, I did get a source on this. Let me quickly have a ganders. It's made primarily... So this is from... a. The American Feed Industry Association. So this isn't from vegan news or plant-based power, nothing like that. This is from a, 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 a feed industry association in America. So animal feed is made up primarily of corn. That's uh, 50.3%. Uh, but also, like, I think 12.7% is soybean meal. Um, so when a lot of people say, again, like, oh, soy farming is really bad. Most vegans, uh, vegans are all eating soy and the soy farming is really bad. Actually, the majority of soy production goes to animal feed. So... Yeah, that's a bit of an interesting one. But um, then, yeah, external to that, like a lot of plants and various bits like that go into uh, into animal food. Um, so this is kind of a thing. If you're someone who is saying like, oh, well, I want to reduce my suffering to plants, going vegan is still the best way because most of it is going into animal feed and to feed animals. Um, the second point as well is that this person, they're making this argument. It only really holds weight if they abstain from eating plants themselves. Because he can say, plants feel pain, plants feel pain. But it's like, okay, well, I'm assuming then you care about this so deeply, you don't eat plants. And I'm assuming he does eat plants. I'm assuming he's not living on a diet purely of meat. So 
it, again, it's frustrating because he's trying to make this point, but it's like, well, you can only really make that point if you're willing to put mm. your money where your mouth is. And my final point to that is we have to consume something to survive. As, as human beings, as living creatures, we have to consume some form of food, don't we? So we have to think, well, what is the, the least I think the ultimate point harmful? behind all of this, though, Harry, is that <laughs> end of the day, this is an anime. This is a cartoon series. And it is made as entertainment. Now, that's not saying that art and entertainment can't speak to a broader message. But you oftentimes get a lot of people who just ignore, deliberately or otherwise, underlying themes. And when you start to dig into, like, why these themes are important, it does become, like, a whole, like, debate. Kind of can of worms it does become a whole can of worms and like to be fair like and and i don't believe that having the viewpoint that this is just entertainment is wrong that is fine but what i don't agree with is the idea of dismissing people who see or who care about it a little more than you do i don't give a shit about harry potter i read it growing (laughs) up i watched the movies growing up i don't really care it's not an important part of my life, but just because it isn't an important part of my life doesn't mean I go out of my way to make sure that other people don't have it as an important part of their life. Mm. So that's what I think I take issue with to a lot of these comments against your article and against your viewpoint of attaching veganism to the promised Neverland. It costs yeah. you literally no fucking money to just accept that this is how another person views it and maybe to even consider it for yourself. And if you don't want to, whatever. Mm. Yeah. It, it could literally just be something as small as someone saying, I'm going to have one meat, de- meat day, uh, meat free day a week. It could be someone saying, I'm going to go vegetarian. It, it, there's all sorts of things that people could try and do to try and be more conscious of this. Um, but I think too often it's very much like, let's bury our heads in the sand. Um yeah, and this guy making a point about plants. I, I was just going to finish my point from before very quickly because I realise I'm being quite waffly here. I'm, I'm sorry. It's uh, something that I, I do like to talk about a lot, so I try not to waffle on too much. But um, yeah, obviously, like so, so the idea is as a vegan, you're trying to reduce your suffering, reduce the suffering of others as much as possible. So even if you could make the argument that plants feel pain, we still have to eat something. And it is, is objectively true that, that plants, even if they do feel pain hypothetically, they're not as sentient as animals. Because if they were, you'd see no difference between killing a dog and killing a flower. I, I, I mean, to, to imply that there's no difference between the two is, is ludicrous, isn't it? Yeah, again, it is it, it, an objective it's, fact. It's, that, but, they're not arguing in good faith. It is whataboutism. Yeah, it is trying to just have you... Argument. It's giving you the burden of trying to prove them wrong because it costs them yeah. nothing to throw out dumb claims like that and that's what i think really it it comes down to with important issues like these is that going against what is the status quo uh does invite a lot of bad faith arguments yeah and i think what's frustrating what really irks me about people like this is that he's posted that comment thinking he's barely big bollocks really like debunking veganism of his genius argument i'm just thinking the stuff you're saying in this comment, it's stuff that vegans hear every single fucking day and we have to argue against every single fucking day. And it gets to a point as, as vegans where it just feels so obvious, the answer to that. Um, he makes a point of start saying, animals kill other animals, so therefore it's justifiable. But it's like, well, actually, animals do a lot of things that are really reprehensible in the wild. 
And we don't imitate those things because we deem them to be reprehensible. So, for example, animals eat and rape one another. They they kill their young sometimes. They do awful things like this. We don't do those things, even though animals do them. If we try to say, well, let's do those things because animals do, it wouldn't be a good... um, a good moral standing would it it wouldn't work you can't compare human morals to lion morals we are far more intelligent and far more civilized and again it, like like it's not like the article is trying to convince people it is really what it boils down to it's just offering yeah. a differing point of view yeah that's it and uh yeah so the comment goes on for a long time um we spoke a lot on reddit but it, it was just draining um i think at the end i, I kind of i said everything i wanted to um, but with people like that, it just it's it's so frustrating because I, I don't understand that really hardline stance against vegans. Um, I get it if if it's not for you, if it's not something you're interested in, then fine. You know, it's it's it is what it is. But I, I've never really understood that kind of. That's why the best approach. Um, I I would say don't stop making these kinds of articles, but know when to not have that conversation with somebody who doesn't want to have a conversation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah um so I, I i've got quite a lot of uh comments here but um i don't i don't want to go on too too long uh going to reddit there, there's there's one comment here who, who just starts to talk about like making food but in a way but it's really bizarre like it ends with i once had a vegetarian lasagna that blew my mind not vegan as they used egg noodles and real cheese i did not miss the meat at all made by a friend who was both italian and vegetarian and his mama knew how to cook that dish taught me to respect the cuisine and culture of others though it neither influenced nor formed my own. That's how this comment ends. There's a big paragraph before that, but I'm just thinking, like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, stuff like that's really strange, because... I'm going to go out, I'm not... gonna go out on a limb here and say that your average person consuming anime is kind of an idiot, or at least doesn't yeah. spend the time to really critically think, and that's just a problem just with people mm. in general. Um, and I, I think it's worth writing these articles and having these conversations for the people who are willing to listen. Even if it's yeah, one it's out of every 10, one out of every hundred, I, it, it's still worth it to go for it. Like, so I, I see this very often in my own line of work where it's like the overwhelming majority of people that interact with Xbox online are jackasses, idiots, or any yeah. combination of the two. But you occasionally have the person who's like, oh, thank you so much for this game. My friends and I, my family and I really enjoyed it. It's been such an important part for us. That's who you are working for. You are working for the people who are, if not willing to be convinced, willing to talk. Yeah, it's. I think what's sometimes draining is when you you write an article like this where you think, I fucking smashed it. I fucking nailed this article. It's as good as it can be uh and and i want to say as well i shared this recently on a vegan discord server and everyone fucking loved it and it was it was really really like reassuring um but it's, it's yes some of these comments i just i just can't understand like this person again goes on saying like oh i don't know how i could be vegan i could make i could make pasta and use squash and carrots instead of ground beef but vegans can't eat the pasta because it's made of eggs and i'm thinking you do know dry pasta isn't made of eggs like have you only ever eaten fresh pasta like dry pasta and I, I think v- like vegan. using the platform <laughs> the thing about like anime right is is it's a very popular yeah. platform and you're going to get a lot of people whose only common factor is enjoying a certain show so when you start yeah, talking about true. certain things like this you have a lot of people who have misconceptions ideas or preconceived notions of what veganism is what vegans are like and all of that 
Mm. So yeah, that's it. Again, I I um, don't think it's so. It's just important to have the conversation out there. There there are millions of examples in like real life politics that I can draw to, but the idea is that the main idea is that just it's important to talk about it and yeah. just have it out there. So what's really important is you know not that you're trying to convince the person who was like arguing that plants feel pain and all of that. It's for the people who see that article, see that, oh, Promise Neverland and veganism, what's that about? They see that discussion, they see you answering very level-headedly, um, and they see, oh, maybe this person does have a point, the other person's kind of being a jackass. You're not arguing yeah. in f- for that person's sake, you're arguing for the person who's, like, stopping by to read and, like, yeah. is kind of thinking about it. Yeah, totally. And I know that I did resonate with some cool people, um, both vegan and non-vegan. So that's what's really cool. Um, I want to also reiterate that like, when I was commenting back to people, I was really nice. I wasn't like uh, confrontational or, or name-calling mm-hmm. at any point, even though I had that shit thrown at me. But yeah, in this podcast format, I am being a bit more uh, unfiltered and just kind of speaking more like uh, just kind of whatever. I'm not really filtering myself here. So so I appreciate I'm saying some things that are a bit a bit douchey mm. but um i'm okay about it. but but no so there's another comment here that i think is kind of interesting uh this is from reddit there used to be someone on this subreddit who was totally against the idea of promise neverland being about veganism slash vegetarianism like they could not see the comparison being drawn at all they did not think it was reasonable to assume there was one it was weird how hard they clutched their pearls denying what was so obvious i love a good burger and will continue to eat meat but that doesn't mean i can't also appreciate the promise neverland Call me a monster, but I will totally order a double Connie with cheese. Episode one spoiler. And if you say I'm a horrible person, I'll tell you I don't care with my mouth full. So this person is saying that again, even though they're like a meat eater and proud, they can at least see that Promise Neverland has this uh, has this and, point. But he's also saying that he, he doesn't feel any guilt over what he does. Um, I was intrigued to ask you, I don't obviously I don't want to turn this into a debate, but I'm, I'm intrigued on your stance. Do you ever feel any sense of guilt eating meat or eating? Mm, I'll, I'll be honest, no. No. How come? Um, a large part of it is the fact that it is not within my capacity at my current station in life to have that kind of stress and effort involved. And as callous as that is, and I know that is callous, <clears throat> excuse me. Um I pick and choose the issues that I care about. Mm. So for me, um, like political stuff and like social justice issues, like that's more what I care about. I don't have the capacity to also fold veganism there. I think if I had more time, I think if I had less financial issues, I think if I had less stress in my life and was in more of a position to actually like pursue that. Yeah. I think I would care more about it. It's just, I don't have the capacity for it. And I think it's very, <clears throat> reasonable of people to say i get it it's not for me mm. do, do you ever because uh, i think this is common for a lot of people myself included before going vegetarian and vegan um but when you eat animal products do you ever sometimes just have a quick thought flash into your brain like oh i, I know where this came from i know how this got here on my plate and do you ever think about like what occurs in slaughterhouses and what occurs behind the scenes on farms? Or do you just kind of block it out? I, so what I do is that's why I try to buy locally um, because at least I know where it came from and while, you know, the animal, like, and of course you can get into the whole debate of like, well, you know, 
they still die, right? And it's like in the Promised Neverland, right? The, ki- like, the kids there live like a very like, every, nice life. Every, every farm is local to someone, irrespective of its yeah. ethics, isn't um, it? You could take the worst farm in the world, but that's still someone's local farm. Yeah. Uh, and even if you, you know, talk about like humane slaughter practices, that's still like drawing back to the Promised Neverland, which is, you know, th- these kids are living, you know, as nice of a life as they could be, but in the end they still die. Um, mm. So it's... And I, do, I do try to make that point in the article mm-hmm. as well, the idea that even if you take the best farm in the world, there's still the, the ending, the, the bad ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, again, I, I do mention this point in the article, the vast majority of farms aren't like the one in the Promised Neverland. The vast majority are factory farms. Mm-hmm. And it's only the tiny minority that are actually yeah. decent farms. They give animals and decent the, lives. The, the problem with that, as far as real-life parallels go, is that it's fucking expensive um, mm. to try and eat otherwise. And I'm sure you can, like, go for, you know, like, a, a more budgetary option. And I know there are way more options now available for people. Um, but it is very much a large shift uh, in living uh, and just in terms of comfort and all of that. And for a lot of people, that is not extra. And like I said, like they, don't, they just don't have the bandwidth for it. Um, now, it, that, that's why I at least understand and more closely align to comments like that person, uh, like Taylor and this other person who was like, yeah. yeah, I'll still eat a burger. It's like at least don't be a dumbass and ignore yeah, what's literally at, at right least, in front of you. You can At least there's some acknowledgement, at least there's the understanding that vegans are trying to do right. They're trying well, to help it, the world It's more of like things. acknowledging the fact that this, like these are literally like facts about what the Promised Neverland is about. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not any kind of like agenda or propaganda. And I, I think this is what's strange. There's um such a kind of a a kind of uh what's the word like a a, a dialogue it's such an idea that, that um veganism is propaganda uh, and whenever something is is mentioned as veganism it's automatically like what is this propaganda what's really fascinating is how actually propaganda exists for non-veganism um and uh, an example of this would be um let's say somebody's going to raise their kids vegan let's say someone makes the choice to raise their kids vegan and someone says, well, how, why are you forcing that on them? Why are you forcing veganism on them? Well, it's no different to forcing non-veganism on someone. It's no different to forcing uh, a, a life of animal consumption on someone. And most kids don't want to do that. Most kids don't want to kill and eat animals. Um, so so this is kind of a point. Um, but yeah, it's it's a... Uh, it's it's fascinating and it's 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 like I said. There's so much to say on this on this topic. It's mm-hmm. it's ridiculously deep. Uh, I'll read one more comment, but we'll, we'll wrap up. So um, this is a nice one to end with. Uh, I got a private message uh, on Reddit like a few weeks after, or maybe like a month or so after. Just said, "Hey, I just got done reading your article on the Promise Neverland sub, and I wanted to personally reach out to you and tell you that your article really resonated with me, and you made some really good points." I've been vegan for a little over a month and watching season one and reading the manga was honestly a pretty big factor in making me decide to go vegan. I'm glad to see I'm not the only one making these types of connections with the series. Haha. So that was from Super Related and that was just really fucking cool just to know that um, it really connected with someone. Mm. And yeah, like it's whenever you talk about these contentious issues, you're going to get backlash. And uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one to, to fully word properly because... 
honestly, if we, if we were going to go into this, it, it would take a fucking nine hour podcast. And even then, we've only scratched part one of a debate. But um, yeah, like, like do do read the article if you get a chance. If, if you uh, feel like looking it up, uh, listeners. Read it and realize that he's Harry is not trying to convince you to change the way you live. He's just asking to think. Just ask, ask which I know questions. is asking a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think this is the point. It's just trying to say, look, like maybe we should just think about the food we eat. Maybe we should just think about what we're eating and where it comes from. And maybe we should try and not live in ignorance, even if you still decide, you know what? Yeah, cool. I'm still going to eat meat. Okay, like I respect that more than someone saying, "Oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know where it comes from." That upset me. It's like, no, look into it. If you decide to still eat meat, that's okay. But I mean, I don't think it is okay, but it, it's, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, at least you've actually looked into it. But uh, yeah, sorry for fucking waffling on and being a pretentious vegan, but I guess that's inevitable, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we'll wrap up there. I think today's been fun. Uh, Kyle, where can we find you? If I, before, before I say that, do you, do you want anything more to add? Um, I, I just want to say that like I, I do appreciate you to, like taking that risk. Um, because it is a, a very noticeable risk. And it's it's always important to, again, like I, I keep going back to this idea of like having the conversation, and it really is a conversation. And it is disappointing when people don't at least concede to letting the other person have their viewpoint um, and trying to engage on some kind of mutual understanding. Like even after all of this, I am fully aware of... <clears throat> Of slaughterhouse practices, I am fully aware of the effect that it has. I just don't have the capacity or the bandwidth right now to fully make that change. Yeah, um, and like I will, I will keep eating meat, but I fully respect um, the article that you wrote. I fully respect your viewpoints, and I fully believe that like it is the objectively better option ultimately, all things considered. That's really appreciative. It means a lot when people say that when they can say. I respect that veganism is like the better option because um, I don't know. It, it just I just don't believe it's the more it, feasible it, it option. It takes a lot to kind of it takes a lot to swallow your ego on that. Yeah. I just don't believe it's and the more kind feasible of say, option. But yeah, I, I mm, of, of course it's yeah. it's inevitable when you've had something that's existed for fucking centuries and then within a couple of decades, uh, something like veganism is trying to kind of catch up to that. And even then, it's only been over the past like five to ten years that veganism's really started growing again. It, it's had a tiny iota, the amount of time that the animal-based mm-hmm. industry has had to grow. So, so when people say, oh, this vegan product isn't as good, of course it's not. It, it was made in a few months, whereas the, the animal alternative was refined over years and years and years and years. But give it time, it will get better. Do you think you'll ever change? Do you think one day you'll ever make the switch? Um, if Beyond Meat is going at the pace that it is, yeah, probably. Mm. Do you think that would be the toughest part for you, giving up meat? What? Do I think what? Do you, do you think giving up meat would be the toughest part for you? Yeah, probably. Um, just because like, yeah. I, I do enjoy it a lot. Um, and there is like a lot about how I cook that is very much affected by that. Um, mm. So yeah, it, it, it's just, again, like that's why I say like the bandwidth and the capacity to make that shift. Um, because... Yeah, I wouldn't very much need to like rearrange like how I think about my food. Um, and yeah. that's not something I really have the time or the energy for right now. You'd, I mean, you'd be surprised how easy it is. But obviously, yeah, man, like if ever you do decide to make the switch, I, I wish you the absolute best of luck. And um, 
yeah, if, if ever you did want to do it, I, I believe in you fully <laughs> and I know you can do it. So, so yeah. And I'd say that to any listener, if anyone is at all interested at all, uh, just open to the idea. There's a few great documentaries you can watch. One is The Game Changers on Netflix. Really good documentary about um, about athletes who have gone vegan and about the kind of sporty health side to it. So that's really cool. Uh, another great documentary is Earthlings. That's narrated by Joaquin Phoenix, who plays Joker in, in the Joker movie that came out last year. He's been vegan since he was a kid. Um, he narrates this documentary. It's a really tough watch. It takes you all through the animal industries around the world. But it's fantastic. It's really eye-opening. And uh, it kind of answers why vegans can be so uh, preachy mm. and so jumped up on the topic. Because you see some shit in there that you just think, fucking hell, I'm angry. And I want to tell everyone now. <laughs> so it kind of answers some questions. So even if you don't like veganism, but you want to maybe understand why vegans feel the way they do, you want to kind of get into that headspace a little bit to answer some uh, issues you may have with vegans. Hopefully Earthlings answers them. Uh, that's free to watch online as well. That's just free on online. So uh, that's cool. Um, and those are bits like Cowspiracy. Uh, there's all sorts of good documentaries, but I'd say the Game Changers and uh, Earthlings are, are two of the best that I've seen. So yeah, anyways, uh, that was good fun. Kyle, where can we find you on Twitter? You can get me at LikeTheRogue on Twitter. And I mentioned it earlier, but Berserk is great and it still holds up and it is a very, uh, just (laughs) continuing in the vein of very uh, morally questionable uh, worlds and themes. It is a very morally questionable series. Mm. In the sense that it will make you question your morals. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to add that to my watch list because I like stuff like that. Um, so yeah, and uh, I am Harry underscore Morris underscore. Uh, I sometimes tweet about veganism and anime and video games and politics and all that sort of shit. So uh, if you're a, a liberal pussy like me, then, get, then uh, follow me on Twitter. And uh, yeah, my my recommendation, um, I mean, I've just mentioned The Game Changers and Earthlings. I feel like staying on topic, another great documentary is Carnage by Simon Amstel. He's a comedian who did, uh, he was the host of Nevermind the Buzzcocks for quite a few years. And uh, he's, again, he's vegan. He did this kind of satirical look at, um, it's this hypothetical of like, if in 50 years the world was vegan, what would the history of that transition look like? And what would older generations who used to eat meat and dairy look like? So it's, it's a comedy thing, mostly. Um, it's quite funny but again it's I don't know you may be slightly put off if you're not vegan but at the same time it's funny it's a good laugh so give that a go Carnage by Simon Amstel Um, and yeah sorry for fucking angering everyone (laughs) this episode because I feel like our listeners maybe are like seething now writing those vegan hate comments but uh, chill out chill take it easy chill out it's just a it's just a podcast on the internet just two people having a chat it's not a big fucking deal so chill out (laughs) but yeah Matt will be back next episode and I'm sure it'll be a lot better than this pre-GB game so we'll see you then bye bye